Holy Father in heaven, blessed be thy holy name. Thank you, Father, for sustaining our lives and preserving us. We are grateful, Lord, for what you have done for us. We feel a gratitude towards you that wants to render service, loyalty, and honor to you. Of our own selves, we cannot match the temptations that we face and come off victorious. Therefore, we come to you and we ask, Dear Father, please supply us the strength that is needed. Lord, please abide with us as we go through these words. Grant to us the gift of your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to rightly divide the word of truth. May we be strengthened, edified, and blessed by all that we will hear. I present myself to you for consecration, Lord. Please purify me. Put your words in my mouth, for I have nothing to say to bless anyone except you help me. Therefore, Lord, please help me. And may the words spoken be a blessing to your children. In Jesus' name I pray. Greatness in Humiliation When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him, until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. Micah chapter 7 verse 8 and 9 Conscience was uttering bitter and humiliating truths to David. While his faithful subjects wondered at his sudden reverse of fortune, it was no mystery to the king. He had often had forebodings of an hour like this. He had wondered that God had so long borne with his sins and had delayed the merited retribution, and now in his hurried, sorrowful flight, his feet bare, his royal robes changed for sackcloth, the lamentations of his followers awakening the echoes of the hills. He thought of his loved capital, of the place which had been the scene of his sin. And as he remembered the goodness and long-suffering of God, he was not altogether without hope. Many a wrongdoer has excused his own sin by pointing to David's fall. But how few there are who manifest David's penitence and humility. How few would bear reproof and retribution with the patience and fortitude that he manifested. He had confessed his sin and for years had sought to do his duty as a faithful servant of God. He had labored for the upbuilding of his kingdom and under his rule it had attained to strength and prosperity never reached before. He had gathered rich stores of material for the building of the house of God, and now was all the labor of his life to be swept away? Must the results of years of consecrated toil, the work of genius and devotion and statesmanship pass into the hands of his reckless and traitorous son, who regarded not the honor of God nor the prosperity of Israel? How natural it would have seemed for David to murmur against God in this great affliction. But he saw in his own sin 
the cause of his trouble. And the Lord did not forsake David. This chapter in his experience, when under cruelest wrong and insult, he shows himself to be humble, unselfish, generous and submissive, is one of the noblest in his whole experience. Never was the ruler of Israel more truly great in the sight of heaven than at this hour of his deepest outward humiliation. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Greatness in Humiliation. Absalom having schemed the overthrow and coup of his father, King David, was in Hebron gaining a following, increasing his popularity and the people were proclaiming him to be king. After this, word came to David in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 15, reading from verse 13, it says, And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth, and all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. And the king went forth, and all the people after him, and tarried in a place that was far off. And all his servants passed on beside him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites and all the Gittites, six hundred men, which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. Do you remember who these Cherethites and Gittites and the Pelethites are? When we studied about Uzzah, they are the ones who are supposed to be carrying the cloth and the materials for the ark, for the tabernacle of God, and then others are supposed to carry, that's the Kohathites to carry the ark. It says six hundred men which came from came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then said the king to Ittai the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place, and abide with the king, for thou art a stranger, and also an exile. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I take, should I this day make thee go up and down with us, seeing I go with I may? Return thou, and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. And Ittai answered the king and said, as the Lord liveth, and as my Lord the King liveth, surely in what place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go and pass over. And the Ittai, and Ittai the Gittite passed over, and all his men, and all the little ones that were with him. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over towards the way of the wilderness. And lo, Zadok also, and all the Levites were with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God, and they set down the ark of God. And Abiathar went up, until all the people had done passing out of the city. And the king said unto Zadok, Carry back the ark of God into the city. 
If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he thus say, I have no delight in thee, behold, here am I, let him do to me as seemeth good unto him. The king said also unto Zadok the priest, Art not thou a seer? Return into thy, the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimaaz thy son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. Wonderful people, these men. See, I will tarry in the plain of the wilderness until there come word from you to certify me. Zadok therefore and Abiathar carried the ark of God again to Jerusalem, and they tarried there. And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went up, and his head covered, and he went barefoot. And all the people that, were, that was with him covered every man his head, and they went up weeping as they went up. Here we see David humbled, humbled greatly, not just by anybody, but in the worst way possible by his own son, not just by any son, but the son whom he loved greatly, Absalom. You see, David was under the judgment of God and David understood it. The title of our devotion is Greatness in Humiliation. Before we talk about the lessons we learned from here, we need to understand the depth of this humiliation. So I want to read further in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 16. Reading from verse 5, it says, And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came, and he cast stones at David and at all the servants of the king, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord had returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord had delivered a kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai the son of Zeruiah unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said to him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son which came forth out of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him, and cursed as he went, and threw stones at him, and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. As if it was not enough what Absalom was doing to David, there came this man Shimei, a relative to King Saul. Now what he has been waiting for happened. And by the way, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, 
is also David's cousin. He's a younger brother of Joab. And the reason why David responded to him the way he did uh, in telling him not to kill Shimei and not just telling him not to kill Shimei but saying what have I to do with you is because these men, Joab and Abishai, they were faithful servants of David, yes. But they had done things that were not nice. They had killed people who they should not have killed. Joab and Abishai connived in killing Abner and David had not did not like them because of that and he knew that these men they were not nice people in fact Joab who schemed the killing of um, Uriah the Hittite well if he was a better counselor he should have done something better advised David encourage him and not assisted him in killing Uriah David had realized these men were bloody men they loved to shed blood so that was why he responded in the way he did to Abishai when Abishai said he wanted to cut off Shimei's head. So what are the lessons that we learn from here? We have to ask ourselves the question, what is our perception when evil befalls us? When bad things are happening to us? When your enemies are cursing you? When they are laughing at you for the evil that's happening to you? When they are now saying, good, it has happened to him for that evil thing that he did? You know what Shimei was saying about David here? He was thinking and saying that what was happening to David was because of what David did to King Saul. Did David do anything to King Saul? All David did for King, to King Saul was to run away from him constantly. All the time that David had the opportunity to kill King Saul, he did not do it. He assisted the, Saul, the kingdom of King Saul. And that's how it may be with some of us. The good things that we do, people may hate us because of it. And suddenly when some evil befalls us, just like it happened to Job, you will have some people who will come around you and start to say, it is because of the evil that you did here or did there, that's why this thing is happening to you. And we should also learn the lesson. When people are down, do not kick at them. Absalom did that. David was at a low ebb in his own life. And what Absalom could do was to take advantage of it and come against his father instead of encouraging him. And here is Shimei also doing the same thing. The two lessons I'm saying, firstly, let us talk about Shimei's own. We should not look at people when they are down and start to say the Lord is judging him for this particular thing or that particular thing. Leave it alone. Try and assist. Secondly, personally for ourselves, we need to have the right perception when evil befalls us. In the book of Micah 7 verse 9, the Bible gives us and furnishes us with a kind of attitude we should have towards a humiliating experience that we are passing through. I cannot describe all kinds of humiliating experiences they are, but you may have one. Maybe you lose your husband, or you lose your son, or you lose your daughters. You know, some people have some terrible things happen to them. I've heard of stories of people who are going for the graduation of their children, and they all die in the experience, and then it's left for the graduates to weep. And there are people who lose their children. Some, they lose their position. And at this time, they are humiliated. Evil things are happening. And the evil people will come to rejoice and say, good, this is what's happening to them. But you, how do you perceive it? We need to have the right perception. Micah 7 verse 9 furnishes for us the right perception towards the evil things that befall us. It says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Amen. This is the attitude we are to have towards our misfortunes. For example, we read in the Bible that it says in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 21 and 22, Also, take no heed unto all the words that are spoken, 
lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. If we understand that any when people are cursing us, we should remember we have also cursed people. So when they are cursing me, no problem. I have done evil. That's why this is befalling me. That is the right attitude. When we remember that we are grievous sinners, we will have the right attitude towards our perplexities and trials. The man, Paul, the apostle, is an example of one who had the right attitude towards his trials. He constantly is seen referring to himself as a prisoner of Christ and he saw it as a blessing. He also saw his own sins as the cause of his troubles. But he was grateful to God for the joy of salvation. Therefore, he didn't complain. We read in Conflict and Courage, page 182, paragraph 4. But David saw in his own sin the cause of his trouble, and the Lord did not forsake David. Do you see your sin as the cause of your trouble? That's what you need to be looking at. Talking about Saul, he said concerning himself in Romans 16, verse 7, Salute Andronicus and Junior, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. He called them fellow prisoners. Again, in the book of Ephesians 3, verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you, Gentiles. Again, in 4, verse 1, he still calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. Colossians 4, verse 10, he calls somebody else a fellow prisoner. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, he says there that he is a prisoner of the Lord. Philemon chapter 1, verse 1, he says there, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Again, in Philemon 1, verse 9, he says, Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why did Paul call himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ? He was actually in the prison, the dungeon, the cell of man. Paul saw it as a welcome indignation of the Lord that he was locked up in a prison. But all the time he writes, he writes it in joy, a prisoner of the Lord. Being in prison is a humiliating experience. Being in prison is not a nice thing. To be called an ex-convict or a convict at that. It is not pleasant. But for Saul, for Paul, it was a pleasant experience. He gladly called himself a prisoner of the Lord. He was bearing the indignation of the Lord. And why is that? Why did he persistently refer to himself as prisoner of Christ? Why does Paul glory in tribulation? Why? Paul had a keen sense of his sins. And because of this, he felt always grateful for life and for the commission given to him, even though it came with so much persecutions. He knew he deserved to be treated worse than that, and so he bore it cheerfully. When Paul had an experience with God, in the book of Acts chapter 9, of course, his name was Saul before. You know Saul, the Benjamite? This Paul was named after him. His name was Saul earlier. He's also from the tribe of Benjamin, just like the original King Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. His name was changed to Paul later. When God called him in Acts 9, reading from verse 15 and 16, here was, what the, here was what the Lord said. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. That's God. From here, the Lord was speaking to Ananias to tell him to go and heal Saul. So he said to him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Saul had been involved in killing Christians so terribly 
He didn't know what he was doing, but yet he was guilty. For this sin, Saul did not deserve to live. The right thing would say, I won't say right, but if God had just attacked Saul that day and slain him, the Lord wouldn't have been doing him anything wrong. That was what Paul deserved. But Saul, who became Paul later, when he thinks of his life, that the Lord did not kill him for all these evil things he was doing, he is so grateful. So when people stone him, when they beat him, when they lock him in prison, all those things, he counts them as nothing. Nothing. Because when he remembers that he deserves worse than that, he is grateful to bear the indignation of the Lord. And that's why he said in the book of Acts 20 verse 23, Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying, that bonds and afflictions abide me. And in the book of 2 Corinthians 6 verse 3, he explained the kind of bonds and afflictions that he passed through. He says, giving no offense in anything. And not just the afflictions he passed through, but his attitude towards these humiliating experiences that he passed through. Just as David also had the right attitude. Here is what Paul said. He said, giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. So what's the right attitude towards all of this? Imprisonment, tumults, labors, necessities that lack, there are many things they don't have, distress, affliction. This was what Paul was passing through. And it was a humiliating experience. But what was his, what was his attitude? Verse 6 now says, By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by unfeigned love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers, yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. How is it that Paul was able to rejoice, regardless of all his afflictions and sorrows, necessities and persecutions, and even imprisonment? It is a sense of his sin and a knowledge of God's mercy that made it so. Paul knew that if God were to treat him exactly as he deserved, death would only be an understatement. But regardless of his sins, the Lord was gracious to him to give him eternal life and also the blessing of being a minister. Even if it meant suffering, Paul saw it as a privilege which he was so thankful for. He did not let his mind dwell so much on the trials more than his sins. His past sins would always make him feel grateful when he remembers that the Lord has promised him eternal life and they didn't cast him away entirely. This was why he could say in Philippians 3 from verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. I want to pause here. David was already in a situation where it looked as if he was losing everything. But for David, there was no problem. He understood that if God were to punish him for his sins, losing the kingdom is an understatement. He was supposed to die. So that is why in his attitude when Absalom rose up against him, you see him, no judging of any other person. Don't feel like, oh, evil has befallen me. Oh, the Lord is being wicked to me. No, 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 no. David understood 
that he deserved even worse than what was happening to him. He understood that him sitting on that throne, he did not even deserve it. So why should he be crying for something he doesn't actually deserve? Why should he be crying for something that he knows he doesn't actually worth? David was supposed to be killed for what he did to Uriah. So this thing was a small matter to him and that was why he was humbled and yet bearing it cheerfully and he, he bore the indignation of the Lord I would say not necessarily cheerfully this is why he was bearing it this is why he was bearing it but not with complaining continuing now concerning Paul in Philippians 3 reading from verse 9 he says and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith you see David knew he had sinned against God and he deserved even worse than what he was facing now that's why he bore the indignation of the Lord without murmuring or complaining. In the book of 2 Samuel 15, reading from verse 25 and 26, you see there where he said unto Zadok, Carry back the ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he thus say, I have no delight in thee, behold, here am I. Let him do to me as seemeth good unto him. And also, we have already seen what Shimei did to David. So from there, what do we learn? David did not point to the previous righteous acts he had done as a reason why God shouldn't permit these things to happen to him. And we should learn the lesson. Don't start pleading, Oh Lord, I did this for you, I did that for you. How about your sins? Don't you think that your sins deserve a punishment too? Worse than whatever it is you are passing through presently. There are some who feel that they are entitled to a better treatment even though they have sinned against God because they have been serving God. Then they think now that God should forget their sins. Many who say this don't even know what it means to serve God. We don't serve God with our sins. Nothing we do can we call our righteousness to be presented to God as a reason why he shouldn't deal with us as he sees fit. It is when we humble ourselves to the indignation of God that we are indeed great. If we murmur and complain and justify ourselves, we only show the perversity of our hearts and our reasoning. Concerning David, in Conflict and Courage, page 182, paragraph 4, we are told, He saw in his own sin the cause of his trouble, and the Lord did not forsake David. This chapter in his experience went under the cruelest wrong and insult. He shows himself to be humble, unselfish, generous, and submissive is one of the noblest in his old experience. Never was the ruler of Israel more truly great in the sight of heaven than at this hour of his deepest outward humiliation." End of quote. Like David, let us learn to see in our sin the cause of our trouble. And like Paul, let us bear it and even rejoice that regardless of our trials, the Lord is merciful not to give us exactly what we deserve, but even mercifully holds out his hands to give us eternal life. His greatest anxiety, David's greatest anxiety, was not for himself. During this time of humiliation, he was not selfish. How did we see he was not selfish? He didn't say to Zadok, stay with me, or to the or to the, the Gittite, Itai, stay with me. He told him, go, don't worry, just leave. you can go. It's too burdensome for you to be following me. Zadok, he told him, you have a work to do. You are a seer of the Lord. You are a priest. Go back and do your work. Don't worry about me. And then even Hushai later came and he told Hushai, go back. There's no need. You don't need to suffer with me. David knew that he had inflicted this injury upon himself and he didn't want anyone to suffer along with him. His greatest anxiety was not for himself but for the people 
who were being led astray by his sins. When you see David crying, it's not that he was crying, Oh my soul, oh my soul, look at the world is happening to me. No, his weeping was not for himself, but was for the keen sense of the influence of his sin on his family and on Israel. He would gladly have welcomed being dethroned or even death if the Lord determined that for him because he knew he didn't deserve any better. David resigns whatever the Lord determined for him. Now, let us look at ourselves. What is it that accounts for our murmuring today? Is it not because we cannot see the exceeding sinfulness of sin as we're supposed to? Is it only Paul and David who are to feel this way when evil things happen to them? No, it isn't. We are even worse than Paul. Paul killed holy men. People like Stephen who are going to make it to heaven anyway. Their eternal life is secure. Paul did not take it from them. We, on the other hand, are guilty of depriving people of eternal life by leading others into sin. Do we feel remorse for these things? Do we feel keenly that we have very well killed as much as Paul and David when we backbite and kill the influence of a brother or sister or when we share our movies and music with them or any evil thing we have learned? How about other sins we have committed like taking God's name in vain? Are we not also guilty of death for these things? Why then do we complain? Is it right for us to murmur knowing that we are not deserving of any better? Why do we complain of what we don't have or how someone else has it better than ourselves? Do they really have anything better? Regardless of our sins, God has been gracious to give us life eternal through Jesus. Yet when we pass through trials, some of us act as if we are holier than Job and begin to murmur, complain and ask God why. Why? Do we really mean it? This is some kind of pride and a sense of entitlement that reveals the perversity of our minds. Some even make comparisons with David and dare to accuse God of being unfair because other sinners like themselves have something that they want. They point to David's life and say, I know I am a sinner, but are they not worse sinners than myself? Why are they not passing through the same trials like me? Do you love your brethren or are you accusing God of partiality when you are asking these questions? If you loved your brother, why then do you compare yourself with him saying why is he having it better than myself so you want him to have it as bad as yourself right or you say you want it better okay fine if you say you want it better are you accusing god of partiality who made you a judge over your brother to know that they deserve worse than yourself because some people will say oh i know that i'm a sinner but are there no other sinners who the lord is also blessing who told you that they are sinners like yourself you have judged them and that's why you are thinking that way. Oh, there are sinners too that they are just like myself. Why is the Lord not blessing me too? He has his blessing other sinners. Did you see their life to know that they are worse sinners than yourself? Reading from Conflict and Courage, page 182, paragraph 3, it says, Many a wrongdoer has excused his own sin by pointing to David's fall, but how few there are who manifest David's penitence and humility. How few would bear reproof and retribution with the patience and fortitude that he manifested. He had confessed his sin and for years had sought to do his duty as a faithful servant of God. He had labored for the upbuilding of his kingdom and under his rule it had attained to strength and prosperity never reached before. He had gathered rich stores of material for the building of the house of God and now was all his labor to be swept away. End of quotes. For some of us, we need to understand, are you even like David? David is only, he just committed that sin once and he repented. We don't hear of David committing any adultery again. We don't hear it. But many of us will use David as an excuse. 
Let us learn the lesson of greatness in humiliation. The only way we can be great during our humiliation is by having the same conduct of David. And what was that conduct? In his humiliation, he was humble, unselfish, he was generous, and he submitted himself to it. What does it mean to submit? That means he didn't complain. He didn't act as though he didn't deserve it. He didn't ask God, why? Let us learn the lesson too, that Paul was rejoicing in his tribulation. If you see sin for what it is, and you understand the enormity and the far-reaching effect of the life of sin we have lived in in the past, we will say to ourselves, I don't deserve life. And whatever evil the Lord brings to me, I deserve it and even worse. And we will not complain and would bear it cheerfully. This is the right attitude. And it is such an attitude that will make us to be great, just like David. Never was the ruler of Israel more truly great in the sight of heaven than at this hour of his deepest outward humiliation. Are there people who are mocking you because of something evil that has happened to you? Are there people who are mocking you and ridiculing you and laughing at you? They are gossiping it here and there, saying, it has happened to him because of this and that. It has happened to her because of this and that. Perhaps maybe you don't have any child or you are not married or your children have died or your husband died or something evil really befell you and now people are saying the judgment of God is upon you. Be careful. Do not enter into controversy. Say, yes, it is true. For my sins, these are happening to me. Perhaps I will have to conduct myself aright. Who knows, like David said, who knows? The Lord may restore me. Allow Shimei to curse. Allow the people who are mocking to mock. Allow those who are laughing to laugh. Do not rise up against them in revenge and start to also laugh at the things that happen to them or to want to cut off their head by bringing out some information about them too that is evil and trying to spread it so that you have vengeance upon them. Don't go into that direction. Like David, permit them to stone you. Permit them to laugh at you. Shimei chased David. Can you imagine? As he kept on going, this man continued to follow him, casting dust on him, carrying stones and stoning him. Can you just let create a mental picture on your head of what this man was doing? Holding stones and will throw it and hurl it at David and will throw another one and then will cast dust at him and say, you are cursed. God has requited to you what you did to my own father, King Saul. God punish you and all of that. That's what Shimei was doing to him. And David all the while kept silent. Not one word came out of his mouth. That is the attitude that we should have in such condition. And when you see people who come to you like Abishai, saying, let us go and cut off his head or stand, tell them, hold it, leave it. I know I have to bear the indignation of the Lord. Thou hast caused the hidden to ride upon my head. That is what David said. Thou hast caused the hidden to ride upon. There are times when such things happen. When the Lord causes the hidden to ride upon your head by allowing humiliating experiences to happen to you, wait on the Lord and be patient. Do not weep like someone who doesn't deserve it. Bear it and say to yourself, I know I have done evil to you in my past. And if this is happening to me, it is an understatement for what I really deserve. Let the Lord do whatever is good to him. I will bear it. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless all of us as we learn to have the right attitude towards humiliating experiences. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, help us to be humble. Help us, Lord, not to be proud. In our murmuring and complaining, it shows a kind of pride where we think 
that we don't deserve what is happening to us. May we think that our righteousness should cover us for all the iniquities we have committed and the Lord shouldn't allow these things to happen. Lord, forgive us for having such attitudes. The beautiful character of David under humiliation, we want it to be ours too. And we pray that you will help us to see the exceeding sinfulness of sin. That we may understand the mercy of God in our lives. So that when evil things happen to us, we will see it as mercy, not as punishment. But if we don't see it, we are in trouble. So I pray, Lord, please expose to us our sins in our minds that we may see it as David saw his own. So that when we see the mercy of God, we will understand it. And when evil things happen to us, we will not complain. Please, Lord, help us with this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.